Hi there, this is James Eek, and you are listening to the Warrior's Way podcast, episode 89. Many of you haven't checked out our Warrior's Way podcast Patreon page, which, if you haven't heard, it's packed full of delicious and nutritious videos by me. (laughs) Uh, Everything from how to hold focus mitts better, to introducing breathwork training, meditation, and awesome martial arts techniques that can you can add to your toolbox of knowledge and make yourself super awesome. What we're trying to do is building a big information hub of awesomeness for you, the listener, and soon hopefully the watcher, <laughs> to access and help support what we're doing here for free on the Warrior's Way podcast. Um, so if you love the martial arts and if you love training and you love this podcast and want to see it keep doing everything it is to help us all hit our goals in our training and in our lives, head over to patreon.com and search out Warrior's Way podcast and join us. Do it now. Go on. Do it now. You'll be glad you did. Zen practice is a return to the ordinary. It is only in the secular world that Zen is perceived by some as a high and holy practice. The robes are seen as holy, but there is no holiness in Zen. Everything that is done in the temple is of a very ordinary nature, including washing dishes, cleaning toilets, mopping floors, cooking, and doing laundry. The teacher is also ordinary. There's nothing for the teacher to be or show other than the ordinariness of life and how to embrace it. If there's any status thinking and being that is an inevitable tangling of our worldly views and the path of enlightenment. For me, a dark-skinned person of African descent, cleaning the temple as a Zen practice felt inappropriate and uncomfortable when I was at the beginning of my training. When you are an older black woman and a young white man tells you how to mop the floor during a work period, the experience is akin to being a maid or a reminder of slavery. Ordinary temple work is the kind of labor often relegated in this country to folks of color and poor people. It's work that can ensure a lower rank in society. In my early days as a student, I felt that the prescribed daily bowing was not for me as a black woman because so many of the work leaders were white in the beginning and I could only see the work as what my ancestors did as slaves, sharecroppers, wet nurses, and maids. The memory of my black ancestors and slavery was visceral. Of course, Zen students of many ethnicities were also working. Did their experience remind them as it reminded me of oppressive conditions of labor? Did women feel they were just continuing what folks call women's work? Were there immigrants who felt they were doing menial work imposed on them because they were not considered citizens? On the other hand, 
did the white male students feel the work was beneath them? That, I believe, was traditionally the point of work practice in Zen, Zen temples. Practice of Zen practice is to recognize the consciousness of superiority and inferiority, the dangerous explosive line between us and them. The temple experience of young Japanese men was intended to humble and prepare them to take on jobs and families in the world. But as the prescribed work of Japanese Zen temples was passed on to white practitioners, did they consider that the cultural context of the practice would change as different folk embraced the Buddha way? Many people of color, and especially black people, come to Zen practice with unavoidable past experiences of strenuous and demeaning work. In essence, they have done the work long before they arrive. In fact, they have overworked to survive blatant discrimination and rejection. For those who suffer from internalized isms, like racism and sexism, to be humbled by spiritual practice is counter to the task of wellness and healing from dehumanization. If anything, they're looking to emerge from the place of submission. They're looking for a place to speak rather than be silent, to communicate the suffering of all isms being played out while sweeping the temple floor. Yet I stayed with Zen practice, doing the mundane, and years later I scrubbed the toilets when I was head student, in order, they say, to remain humble. The more I bowed, the more I scrubbed, eventually I felt my ancestors moving my body back and forth. They told me this work was good. I was skeptical. Me. Really? I don't need this. Ancestors. Exactly. You feel you have become better than us. Me. I went to school because you said education was the best thing for black people. I got a PhD, so I don't need to do what black folks have always done. Ancestors. Your pride is no good to us. Your degree is no good to us. We need your heart to be healed. Don't let intellect take the place of love. You must love more. I swept longer, breathing, listening, crying. This is true. I say to myself. Me. But I worked so hard not to be oppressed as you were. I worked for justice. I prayed. I ate well. I did good deeds most of my life. Ancestors. We need more than that from you. We don't need you to be a good Buddhist or a good Muslim, Christian, or whatever. We need you to remember the dust from which you came. We need you to remember a time before things went crazy, when they sold Africans like us. There was something before. It's still hidden from you. Find it. Keep sweeping. Not to clean, but to see and hear where your heart is blocked from what we see for you. We put you in a place where you would be bothered enough to change. What would Zen training, not just temple cleaning, look like for those who come from a lineage of ancestors who were mistreated and exploited? 
Mistreatment in the past will create mistreatment in the future, even within our spiritual sanctuaries, if we are not aware of such a consciousness within all of us. If ancestral memory of slavery arises in our practice, as it might for Dharma practitioners of African descent, it must be acknowledged and used to open our eyes to the consciousness of hatred. If we ignore what is stored in any of us, then how can we know what paths we have already suffered? I know that, that temple cleaning is the motion arising from sitting meditation, not history repeating itself. Today, when I clean the temple, I know it is my ancestors calling. I know that the memory within me of their existence as slaves is being understood and transformed. I know that the temple cleaning is the motion arising from sitting meditation, not history repeating itself. If I am fortunate enough to be offered a chance to sweep, it is a profound time with my own heart to use the broom as a ritual connecting this life and the lives of those in my past. I am not replicating what my ancestors did as slaves. On the contrary, they have brought me to this moment. How else would I appear in such a temple? In sweeping, I had to climb down from who I thought I had become. The practice was to move beyond easily accessed, well-served black pride into seeing the ways I suffer. I began to see the ascendance from enslaved Africans as a sanctioned and gifted walk toward the very liberation the Buddha spoke of, and what the ancestors saw for me and everyone else. While economic reparation for enslavement is true and relative justice, the ultimate reparation is true freedom from the poison of our oppression. We need both. Wow, that is from an article in the Lion's Roar online magazine by Zenju Manuel, a Soto Zen priest and founder of Still Breathing Zen Sangha. I found this to be a really important article for a few reasons. In training, we need to go beyond the ordinary. We need to understand that our training means humbling ourselves. It means not just working on external things, but also and often, most importantly, the inner things, especially. One of my Zen teachers once told me that the act of training means cleaning our room. This room, of course, is ourselves both internally and externally. And just like a physical cleaning, we can ignore that dirty, dusty corner or tell ourselves that those sheets aren't really that dirty. Or we can just shine a light on everything and accept that work needs to be done and everything needs work and honest work at that. In Zen, simple mindful work has always been an aspect of training. Through mindfully sweeping or cleaning, we learn to take the same kind of meditative, reflective mind into all aspects of our lives. Another benefit, of course, is that it shows us that we are all the same. 
You might be some big shot in every other moment of your life, but when you're in the zendo and in a working meditation session, you are washing dishes, cleaning the floor, whatever else everyone is expected to do. Nobody's above it. We are all equal. I try to instill the same sort of thought in my martial arts school. Every single night when the training is done, I grab the vacuum and ask everyone else to grab a mop and we clean. Sometimes I joke that our school is probably cleaner than everyone's homes. <laughs> but what I'm really hoping is that everybody there sees that someone who has been training for almost 40 years and has their name on the door and name on a bunch of certificates is just as capable of cleaning as the newest person on the mats. This is important. This helps us to really see that we are all the same. Not only that, but we are all responsible for maintaining the dojo. The dojo is where things happen. Sure. You might think to yourself, hey man, students pay fees to train. <laughs> but no decent school should be run like it is a health club where we are going to be waited on and coddled. A dojo is all about learning what this path, the way, is all about. Sweeping the floor, cleaning up after yourself, being responsible and tidying helps us to see our lives and our responsibility for living lives that matter, full of compassion, respect, and gratitude for all living things and all things around us. I like this. I think we need more places that force you to take stock in who you think you are and who you really are and to breed a feeling of responsibility to clean up your mess. This is even more important today. We need to see the mess that we are making in the world and start to do something about it. Every single thing we do, we need to look at differently. We need to think about what we can do to clean this room or this world and make it far better. And just like our bedroom, if you clean up one corner today and another corner tomorrow and chip away at those things, what we can find out is that we have really made a change for the better. This is the benefit that mindful living brings. The way is the training, and the training is the way. Question of the week. This is from Adam. Thanks for the question, Adam. My teacher found out that I was training with another instructor and got upset about it. Have I done something wrong in training with different people? No, not at all. It's very important that everybody understands that no one teacher, no one school, no system, no style, no art has a monopoly on the truth. As someone who has dedicated themselves to training and becoming the best that they can, I can tell you it is your responsibility to train as much as you can and always try to see things from different perspectives. And I think this is key. 
If you don't, all you will ever see is what you're holding in front of your own face. And that is going to eventually be a problem. And you're going to be limited. Instead, see the world as something out there, something always available to you. Train with and in as many things as you can so that you can see that everything is training. That life itself is actually your teacher. Usually a teacher who is against you training with others is simply insecure. Be respectful to everyone. Never judge anyone or any other school or any other teacher. And especially those who teach, by the way. That is a tough row to hoe, let me tell you. Don't judge teachers too much because we are all just human beings. And you know what? As a human being, you and a teacher and a world leader are going to make mistakes. Sometimes big ones, sometimes small ones. But we are all capable of doing great things as well. Never forget that. If your teacher doesn't like you training with others, maybe ask why that is. Maybe they are just concerned that you're going to stretch yourself too thin Or maybe they want to make sure you're getting all your bases covered with them first. Or maybe they are holding on a little too tight to what they mistakenly see as their own. Just remember that nobody is perfect. And try not to judge. And that's the hardest thing. Be compassionate as much as you can. But be open-minded and just keep at it. So there you go. Good question. Um, And I'm going to tie it up there. So, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, don't forget to check out our Warrior's Way podcast page on patreon.com. There are a ton of videos on there already. I've only been at it for a short time, and if I do say so myself, they're pretty darn good. So make sure you go check them out. Just Do a search for patreon.com and then look for Warrior's Way podcast on there and you'll find it and subscribe. And then you will get probably a new video every week at least. That's how it's been lately. Um, And if you're loving the podcast, tell your friends, your enemies, your frenemies, occasional dogs and cats that it is awesome. Give it a listen. If you are able to, give it a five-star review. That would make other people, because of, I don't know, algorithms or something, make other people find it when they're looking for something cool to listen to. Um, And then, of course, if you like what I'm laying down here, uh, you could always check out some of the books that I've written on the martial arts. There's two of them right now. There's a bunch of others that I have done and hopefully will get published within the next I don't know, whenever, in the near future, I'll say. (laughs) Um, But anyways, you can pick up uh, actual paper copy books or, you know, the science fiction-y e-books. You can get those on Amazon and you can get it uh, for your Kindle or on your Kobo if you like the Kobo. Or, like I said, you can get a book. Uh, Just head over to Amazon and take a look. There is one 
that this podcast is named after, Warrior's Way, a guide to lifelong learning in the martial arts. And the other is called A Wolf in the Woods, which is also about the martial arts, believe it or not, not about wolves or woods. Well, actually, it starts off with that. It's kind of a weird story about me getting attacked by a wolf in the woods and fighting it off and then kind of looking at my life and how I train and kind of go in a different direction. <laughs> Anyways, it seems almost unreal to me too. But true story. That's what happens when you live in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and speaking of which, if you'd like to check out what I do at my school or anything to do with me or this podcast, you can find me on Instagram at Eek Academy. And there's also Warriors Way Podcast Facebook page. Just look at it or look for it the way that you usually do those things. As well, when you if you're gonna like that, like the Eek Academy as well. That's my school here in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Um, put lots of stuff on there about happenings at my school. And with that, make sure that you get out there and train as much as you can. Like I was saying to my students last night, there may be magic in the world, but magic in the martial arts, it comes from a result of the effort that you put in. If you want to be awesome at this stuff, get on the mats as much as you can. Train hard. Most importantly, have fun at it. And like I say to the kids, be a good friend. Thanks a lot.